Hello, Stuart. Hi, Tom. Um, have you been watching the Rugby World Cup, Stuart? I'm not even that sure that I knew there was a Rugby World Cup, or certainly that it was playing now. Well, you know, people were playing it now. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in fact, I know that there's two different kinds of rugby. Uh, union and league, is that right? Very good, yes. Very, very good. And is Rugby Union having a World Cup at the moment? Ah, I couldn't have told you that. No, no, and no. you couldn't have told me there was a World Cup at, at all. So they, uh, you obviously couldn't have told yeah, me that. There must so. no, there must be. Uh, I, I think there's six nations. Is that the World Cup? No, that's that's only six nations. You see. Know, but six they're across the world. They're, they're like a hundred. No, they're not. They're all in Western Europe. It's uh, they're most most of them are in are in the British Isles. They're, they're, that's. I thought New Zealand was in it. No. Jesus Christ, uh, uh, listeners! This is this is uh, genuinely uh, my my shock here is not feigned for the thing. Like, the, <laughs> New Zealand is in the southern hemisphere. I think you yeah. know that, and it plays in what is called the Tri Nations, and now I think they've gone up to the Four Nations with uh, New Zealand, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, and I think now Argentina. But the Six Nations is England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales, and France and Italy, and Italy. France, oh, France and Italy as well. That makes perfect sense. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, does it not make sense? I don't know. Listeners, it- you may be getting the impression from this that I, on the the, the nerd jock uh, spectrum... Axis, yes. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. um, I'm more on the nerd side and Tom is more on the jock side. Today we're going to be talking about uh, sport... Uh, which mm. is not something that I'm uh, particularly <coughs> familiar with, as you may have picked up from the <laughs> no. conversation that we've just had, which was not rehearsed or fake in any way. I, I don't know anything about any of this stuff. Um, no, you are broadly aware that sport exists. I think that's about uh, yeah, all, that, all but we can I'm, say at I'm, this point. I'm not in favour uh, no, of, of it existing. Just, oh, God. And, oh, it's not, um, anyway, so... Yeah, welcome carry on, to the study show. Well, yes. uh, yeah, welcome <laughs> to the study show. My name's Stuart Ritchie. I'm a science writer at The Eye... I'm Tom Chivers. I'm a science writer with Semaphore. Okay, yeah. so you see, the thing is, Stuart, that Scotland, which is where you are from, did you know that? You are from yeah. Scotland. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. They're actually quite good at rugby at the moment. Um, and they've been completely screwed in, in, because they've been, been put in a in a group with uh, two of the best teams in the world, Ireland and South Africa, who are the world champions uh, from the last World Cup. And it's been right. a lot of controversy at the moment in the World Cup because oh. there's... Fit, worry at the moment about head injuries, concussion, links to mm. links between sport and um, head trauma and dementia in later life is the big is the big um, sort of big ticket worry. So sport um, causes you to get dementia. Uh, well, that's what we're going to be discussing, Stuart. But anyway, wow. there, that, that was a, there was a big controversy because there was a, a um, an England player sent off. Now, nowadays, pretty much it's meant to be if there's any height, any tackle that hits a head in rugby, it's immediately sent off. And there was an England player sent off for that. But then a South Africa player did the same thing against a Scottish player and wasn't sent off. And the Scottish people, including yourself, I have no doubt, have been absolutely furious about it. We've been, um, we've been revolting. Yes, yeah, yeah. The Scottish are revolting, as we uh, we all say regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yes. So, anyway, it's a huge controversy. But this broadly, this this is part of a wider controversy or a wider con- wider concern about, like I say, about head trauma and head injury and concussion in football. Uh, Scotland again, very involved in all of this. They last year banned football players from heading the ball in training the day before and the day after a game. Uh, there have been substitutions, huh. concussion substitutions introduced into the Premier League. So if someone, if a doctor determines that a player has been concussed they are brought off and again the the team gets a free substitution um and in american football it's been an even bigger story for years there was a there was a 
2015 film starring Will Smith as uh, uh, you know Will Smith, who is obviously no stranger to causing head trauma. Um, that's true. But the, <laughs> that's, true. Um, that's that's a bit of a satirical joke for you there. Yeah, uh, yeah. I hope his yeah. lawyers aren't listening to this. Yes, yeah, that's true. Um, but he was he played uh, this Bennett Umalu, who's a, a pathologist, a forensic pathologist, who was sure he'd found a link between American football, playing American football, and dementia. And there was better part of a decade ago now, some 2015, 2016, there was a one billion dollar settlement to former players who for, who uh, who claimed they'd been had their dementia caused by repeated head in- injuries during playing American football. So it is a big deal at the moment. Yeah, it, I mean, it, it sounds it <clears throat> sounds bizarre to me that you would put yourself in the situation where you uh, you you would you would risk getting dementia for uh, for a, a silly football game. Yes, although you know, like there is. Well, we'll come. We'll come to whether there, there, whether it is increasing your risk overall later on. But um, oh, there is also this thing. It is is also you see, Stuart. It is fun. You know. Do you know what else? You know what else is dangerous? Like, this, this is going to drive me mad. Actually, genuinely going to drive me. Mad. Do you know what else is dangerous, Stuart? A sedentary lifestyle such as yours, sat on your bum playing Warzone. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, uh, do not live a fully sedentary lifestyle because I have to walk the dog um, sometimes. But what I do, Tom, is not things that involve getting repeatedly hit on the head and concussed on a regular basis. Um, and if I was to choose a sport of any kind, it would not be one where uh, that might cause me to get dementia in later life. Okay, well, I, I would much love to hit you repeatedly around the head until you get concussion, <laughs> but at this point, I'm on the other side of London, so I can't. Anyway, so yes. like the um, I, I've I've written about this a couple of times in the past, and I've spoken uh, every time I've print about it to this guy called Alan Carson, Professor Alan Carson, who's an Edinburgh neuropsychiatrist. And conveniently for our present purposes, he's the director of the National Managed Clinical Network for Acquired Brain Injury. So uh, very much an wow. expert in this field. Um, he, uh, so a lot, a lot of what I'm about to say is come, come from a conversation I had with him. Um, he is also, I should say, the editor, what was this very uh, editorial board member of Brain Injury, the journal of the International Brain Injury Association and, and wow. generally big, important person in the traumatic brain so, so, so can i ask then is hmm. it about is this sport thing um are we interested in this because of sport per se or are we interested in this because we're wondering whether any traumatic brain injury like the kind of dr- brain injury that you might get if you're just at work or if you have an accident or a car crash or you know something falls in your head whatever you fall over and knock your head um then might go on to cause dementia is sport being used as a kind of a a sort of lab in this respect or 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 are the people who are interested in this actually you know really interested in the, the sport per se i think that i think we can say they're interested in sport because you aside Stuart a lot of people do play sport and enjoy it and you know enjoy watching it and then there's professionals who, who they enjoy watching and all sorts <laughs> of stuff I can't get my head in, I can't I, get my head around it's it just, uh, it's just honestly like you're like an alien creature like, it's not as even if I'm particularly good at sport I'm quite rubbish but I just it's like it's fun it's a fun thing to anyway um, right I will just yeah, I will just say quickly that what follows is because even though it came from talking to Alan Carson mistakes are all mine knowledge is his mistakes are mine as usual but anyway okay. the, um, yeah the um, so I, I, I'm sure there is some interest in treating it as sort of what you know as a sort of lab for learning more about dementia in general. But the the main thing is no people are just interested. You know, if I if I send little Bertie off to play to learn to play rugby or as you know yeah. take up professional boxing or something, will that will that end up raising their risk of of dementia? And, and also, you know, will you know will all the sporting heroes will they end up with greater risk of dementia later in life and things? And I think it's really important. 
you talked about the sort of injuries that people get they fall over at work they whack their head you know like yeah. uh, they've all had big bangs on the head falling over or whatever and that that what you what what's going on there is a, is a sort of a conflation of two issues right there there are high profile injuries head injuries in sport there they happen because you know these are People, people running around at full speed. They're really athletic people. They're strong. They wear, you know, and and they get high and they and they crash into each other. And sometimes yeah. they, you know, I'm sure you remember very well. Um, Petr Cech, the Chelsea goalkeeper, getting a fractured skull <laughs> in a collision with Reading Stephen Hunt in 2006. Stuart, I'm sure that's absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like yesterday to me. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, it, was, it was it was it was horrible. It was really horrible. He was just lying there unconscious on the pitch, and there was um, yeah, he had the rest of his career. He had to wear like um sort of a, a protective headgear like a sort of a scrum cap they wear in rugby and oh, there was this yeah. um, Pedro Mendes was a Portsmouth player just caught by an elbow from the Man City's Ben Thatcher it was just it was, and again sparked out totally unconscious and these things do happen they happen not that often in football They're, those are you know those were both well over a decade ago and very memorable but they do happen every so often uh, but they're what people think of they're a bit more common in rugby and much more common in Boxing, when we yes. Imagine. So, the, the whole this whole this whole link of um, of sport and dementia comes from something called uh, dementia pugilistica. I think it was called, uh, which was people basically punch drunk thing, uh, which people noticed that old boxers just weren't that all that with it. So, I, I'd be very right. yeah. I'd be very easy to convince that boxing being repeatedly hit in the head for an entire career. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I would be. Yeah. I, I haven't. In researching this, I haven't thought at all about boxing, which I just don't, I don't need any convincing is bad for you. Well, like a major part of boxing is that you get knocked out, right? I mean, that's a, that's a such a regular thing. Whereas it must be fairly intermittent in the world of football. Yes, and, it is and not. So it's on. not you, a deliberate these goal. terrible accidents, and yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, no pun intended there, Tom. Yes, well, um, yeah, very nice. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so but the the thing is with those incidents is that. That's actually not what we're talking about when we're talking about long-term risk of, of dementia. Where, what those are, what people are worried about there is the acute injury right there and then. There's when so pitch side assessment for concussion, which is a lot of what people are talking about. Uh, you know, so people are saying we need to make more, be be more wary of pe- of players' safety, and we need to assess them for concussion. That is true, but that's not. They're not thinking about dementia there. That's not the the link to dementia is not. I think even posited. Um, the what what's going on there is. You're assessing someone to see firstly if they've had a really bad injury and need to go to hospital right away for like potential neurosurgical management. If they've, yeah. they've got a, a bleed on the brain or they've a fracture right, skull, yeah, yeah. you know, that's really that's obviously something you you just get them out there straight away. There's another thing they're looking for, which is a more mild concussion, which might not in itself be dangerous, but it could leave someone at risk of a second injury. Um, there's some there's some concern that second injuries are you know there's a thing called second injury syndrome, which is not very well evidenced, but is positive, which is that if you get hit in the head, you hit in the head once, then you get hit in the head a second time shortly after, because your brain is sort of trying to repair itself with the sort of inflammatory cascade that the brain goes through. Like basically, it's trying to fix itself, and if you and you can get more severe, more dangerous injuries if you hit a second time. What um, speaking to Alan Carson, what I understand actually is the real risk is because that that's sort of fuzzy. There's not really good evidence for that, but the real risk, speaking to Carson, is that. Um, Sports people generally are pretty good at protecting themselves from head injuries, but if they've been concussed, they'll be slightly worse at it. And if you're, uh. you know, if, if you're if you're concussed, your risk of being involved in a second impact is higher, and your risk of much more severe severe injury is therefore higher. So, if someone, you know, if if you're if two players bang heads on the foot, you know, or, or a goalkeeper punches a um punches the ball and takes out a player or something like that, then the other player might just not be as good at 
avoiding future injury and hurt right. themselves. So, so which, which in, right, for, makes for sense. The, for the remainder of that day or match or whatever, or, or, yeah, not exactly. necessarily or, permanently? Or, not necessarily right. permanently. No, 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 not yeah. permanently. But, but I think with these concussions, are, you know, there, there's, a, there's a rule in football. I wish I should have checked the number, but like you, you can't play for like 10 days or something if you've been diagnosed with concussion or something like that. You know, huh. you're, you're, right. they take you out of this, you're, you're not safe to play for a while and right. that but that so, could be a misinterpretation of this uh thing that you're talking about which is actually it's not that that you your brain becomes more vulnerable it's that it's that you are just you you generally are more vulnerable to more to more uh hits is that is that right or yeah I- well i think so so there's 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 a there's a theorized risk that there is this second injury syndrome that second injuries yeah. are inherently more dangerous uh-huh. yeah, and, there, yeah. and there's sort of but I suppose in either in either case it, it would be good to not play football yeah, again yeah so, exactly yeah, just yeah. just just like the, the the thinking is let's just let's just get them out there anyway so uh what, what's worth knowing about that there's there's a lot of you know a lot of a lot of the chat around this is about how you were about assessing people and there's there's people are very sort of um sort of defensive or, or shocked when people when players go back on the pitch after what looks like a head injury or one right. of them, but they look concussed and they sort of might be a bit wobbly um and people you know watching tv say oh god you know that that's they obviously shouldn't be playing he's obviously concussed but then yeah. this again speaking to carson like there's it's actually concussion is not that easy to diagnose from afar like, because like shock can look quite like concussion or if someone if or just sort of being startled being being hit if you take a big hit to the chest in rugby or a big tackle in football and you fall over it's pretty shocking and startling and you might just be a bit shaken up and you might winded, look a bit maybe. yeah winded, but actually the the neurological signs of concussion as opposed to shock are, are quite subtle and you know their assessment is 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 important that said and this is you know, before we get onto the dementia stuff, there are policy things, and uh, the, uh, the which is in in Scottish schools or Scottish sport generally. There's a, there's like, you should just what they have is just a precautionary principle, like, especially at lower level like school sport. If you're wondering whether someone's concussed, get them off the field. You know, right. like, there's there's yeah. a, a poli- the Scottish policy strapline was if in doubt, sit it out, and like it doesn't matter if like the kid's the star player and it's the school final between Stramash Academy and Buckfast College or whatever. The, um, the, the, um, mm, not sure. <laughs> okay, carry on. I just, just come up with realistic Scottish names. You know? mm, uh, <laughs> sorry. Um, so yeah, kids' health is just more important and... Like, that sounds like from, a good culture. Is that not the culture in other places then? I think, a lot I think of these seem to refer to Scotland. They do. Well, I, I think I've been I've been speaking to the professor from Edinburgh University, so I get pointed. Right, but the Scottish fact that there is a professor at Edinburgh University who is an expert in these things also speaks to Scotland yeah. being interested in this topic. No, I mean I, I do think they've. It does sound like Scotland's been quite sort of forward thinking about this stuff. They're the ones looking at. Um, you know, banning heading in the games uh, days before and after a game. Whether whether or not that's a good idea it doesn't it doesn't seem crazy to me to do, to sort of be thinking about these things i think scotland's been mm. yeah quite on it with it um right. but anyway so there, there are people looking for things like biomarkers to more accurately diagnose concussion um but so i like think a, sort know, of like inflammation or something that yeah, occurs when exactly, you're yeah. uh, concussed when you get a head injury yeah exactly biological signs over and above like are their reactions slowed or are their pupils dilated and stuff like that you know do they can they right. can they finger track you know, can, they, can they track motion with their eyes um but then like well carson's point was like if you're in the situation where you're looking for a biomarker just don't just don't let the kid on the field take them off you know that's that, yeah, yeah. I, biomarkers obviously vary a lot in how predictive they are of the thing mm. that you're wanting them to mark and there are some that are really good like someone's level of glycated hemoglobin is a great indicator 
of di- of diabetes, you know. Hmm. But uh, a lot of biomarkers are not actually that good, and not uh, you know, especially in an individual context. I mean, maybe in, in in a study, you could say that this biomarker gives us five percent more accuracy at you know diagnosing saying, yeah diagnosing one particular person over another. But in an individual case, it might not really be helpful at all. Yeah, and in the end, you're. You're not really interested in whether or not the some biomarker the biomarker is a is always going to be a proxy for whether or not they are behaving strangely or right. you know. So that's so that's talking about you know at lower level sports at school sports. It's just you know no like the idea that you would want your kid like they he might be a bit concussed. They're at a high risk of some more severe injury, but they they might score the winning goal against you know their their rival schools. Who cares? Take them off, right? That, that's, it's all this is all fairly straightforward as far as I'm concerned. But don't like, people go a bit mad about sports and 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 want to have they, a they kid? Can. They can, the but like, I, don't, you know, I, I don't know. I, I feel I'd be totally happy with a fairly blanket policy, which certainly Scotland seems to have done, of just saying, like, take, don't, don't risk their health because if you want them to carry on playing more in later life. Um, yeah. At higher levels Definitely of sport... Set it out. Yeah, it seems fair enough, doesn't it? And it rhymes, so it must be true. Um, yeah, yeah. The... Um, uh, at high, you know, at more high, at high level sport, I mean, you know, the, I remember in 2019, Mo Salah got... Um, concussed and was unable to play in this vital semi-final against Barcelona I'm sure you remember it the great heroic comeback um, <laughs> I, do, I do yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, Barcelona is a football team Liverpool's the offside rule was used uh, in that match I believe oh Jesus Christ yeah <laughs> yeah yeah okay yeah um, but anyway so so, but when, you, when you're dealing with games like that where millions of pounds are at stake you know and careers and everything like that there's a there's a you've got a bit of a problem which is that uh the decision of whether a, a player is got concussed is often down to um, club doctors, so the the team's right. doctors, and obviously that's the a conflict of interest. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and they could literally lose their job if they if you know if Jurgen Klopp is yelling, "I need that player back on the pitch," um, and yeah. He, so 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 this was an, again Carson's thought is that this is something that you could just make, make it at a high level, make it independent assessment, and that also it seems fine to me. But the, but none of this right. None of this is actually the thing. You know, when when people talk about head injuries in sport, they picture these big cracking head injuries where some two people whack into each other and one of them's knocked out. And they, you know, I think most people are pretty happy with that. Yes, that person should be taken off the pitch. But what people often think is that that is what we're talking about when we talk about contact sport causing dementia, and it, it's just not. That's a to- those are two totally different issues. The link between the the link between sport and dementia doesn't seem to be, or at least no one seems to hypothesize that it's anything to do with these acute traumas. But the hypothesis is that it's to do with more regular, small, low-grade impacts, like, for instance, right. heading a ball several times, you know, maybe perhaps hundreds of times a week for a 20-year career, something like that. Right, right. Um, and the trouble with this, this was the, um, is that there was, there's been lots of controversy about it for years, but for a long time, there wasn't very good evidence. The um, I spoke the first time I wrote about this was in 2016, and all, almost all the research, apart from one study which we'll come back to, was on um, you know that people would do autopsies on uh, former sports people, and of course the people who you're going to autopsy who are putting their brains forward for this sort of research would systematically tend to be the people who had dementia so you've got this huge selection bias right. immediately it's not and a random the, sample of no. uh, sports players yeah exactly no i mean and i don't know how you'd get a random sample of dead sports players brains you know and the, and the, there was also the, the the apparent brain trauma was a condition called chronic traumatic encephalopathy which mm. was um 
to do with sort of very microscopic damage in the brain tissue. There just wasn't good agreement on things. There was a lot of there's a lot of hype and and scares about it, but not very much good evidence. There are better studies now. Um, well, one of them was around back when I wrote that, but this this is uh, a 2012 study by a guy called Everett Lehman. It found this excellent data set, which is that the, in American football, the, the National Football League, NFL, which is the top level of American football, there's a pension scheme in which anyone who's so much as touched a ball in a game of NFL, if you played a single second, then you're registered with the scheme. And it means they've got this really good data set of everyone who has, you know, comparing league, you know, pro sports players with the public at large. Its results... Uh, with speaking to Carson, he was always he was unsure about its results because you know it's one study. But then there was a, another thing called the Field Study, which came out in 2019. Um, now, in the notes, Tom, I can see that Field is spelled in all caps, which means that it's going to have some sort of ridiculous uh, acronym or initialism. You know, it's a word, but also yeah. scientists will use. So let me try and guess: football injury encephalopathy. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, you're miles off. Um, you got football. You got football. I mean, but what what you forget is that when scientists do these ridiculous acronyms, they 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 feel they can just take any random letter within a word. It's not of the course. first. Yeah, there's yeah, right. all sorts of bonkers things. So it's footballs, footballs. F influence. Uh, Influ- so that's the I and the E. Oh, the uh, E at the end as well. The E okay. at the end of influence on lifelong health and dementia risk. <laughs> the LD. LD. So You've got to love it. You've got to love it. There's, a, there's another study which uh, my old boss from Edinburgh set up called um, Healthy Aging in Scotland. And, oh. uh, of course, it was uh, Haggis. Yeah, it's yeah, it's good. It's good. I, I love anyway. how people come up with these uh, ridiculous names for studies. So, okay, we've got we've got them um, football's influence on lifelong dementia or whatever it is. Lifelong health and dementia risk. Yeah, um, yes. yeah. So the um, so that also I love I love this. The um, that that was apparently down to there was one groundskeeper at Hamden at Hamden Park, which I'm sure you'll know is uh, Celtic's ground in Glasgow and um, the, the one groundskeeper was apparently a complete obsessive and has got has somehow got a record of every single player who's ever played professional football in Scotland oh. um, so, so, okay. so they were so these are both really good data sets um, and what's important is that they both found pretty similar things so um uh, two thousand. The two, layman found that the the neurodegenerative risk was roughly. Well, I mean, this, there's basically a real signal apparently, and a, a playing contact sport or playing um, American football. Lehman found was associated with a two to three or two to four fold increase in risk of neuro, uh, neurodegenerative disease. And the field study by, found by, by what by like by your seventies or something. So I, I think just at all um, at all ages. Because like, how long did they do? How long did they follow they look, them for? Well, I guess. Well, they didn't the follow them at all. They were looking back at the. Um, you know, these, these are these are decades uh, of, of course. So right, 3, yeah, 000, yeah. 3, 000, uh, 3439 NFL players with at least five pension credited playing seasons from nineteen fifty nine to nineteen eighty eight. So you got right. So of, it's not okay. 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 So right. it's not ongoing. It's not. It's not. A, it's it's looking back at the lives of people and then comparing yes, their right. when, when they died. You know. That's an increase of two to four, twofold, and the field study found broadly similar thing. That sounds like quite a lot, but first, it's worth noting this was um, that dementia is pretty rare at younger ages. So, like 
at 40, this might be one extra case in every 40,000 or something, maybe two extra cases in every 40,000. Um, for age 70, it might be one extra case per 100, something like that. You know, But then when you get to age 80, because dementia is much more common, your absolute the absolute risk increase is more, much more significant. It's something like, you know, there's something like 15% of people are demented, have, have dementia, I should say, at... Mm-hmm. Um, at eighty, and then it be, and so so a doubling of that risk is obviously significant, right? And are so, we talking about are we talking about a causal f- influence well, here? This so, is, so like this is just this is a correlation between dementia and, and 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 football. But could people who play football be at higher risk of dementia for other reasons than the football itself? Well, I'm sure. I'm, they, I, they, I, I'm just I'm just you know I I can't think of necessarily reasons I, mean, for I, it, I, but I, I can think of all sorts of reasons but yeah whether they're good reasons i don't know i mean well, exactly they're, yeah, yeah. They're, yeah. They're, they're, they're going to be um there can be you know all sorts of reasons in which a um sports people are not the same as the population at large but you'd think sports people would be healthier than the general population so this is so you think they'd have a lower dementia risk We'll you'll, you'll we'll co- we'll come back to this, but yeah, the, so so yes, I mean it is it is an observational study, and it's always going to be tricky to talk, to tease out cause and effect here. Yeah, what's also worth noting is that even before we you know talk about whether or not it's causal, it, it, it's there are a lot of risk factors for dementia, mm. and um, Carson pointed out that it's about the same size in uh, r- increased risk as someone not going to a university or not eating a Mediterranean diet. It's vastly, you know, the, if if you were to if you were to quit um, playing football, playing professional football, but then take up smoking, that would just blow your blow right. the risk out right. of the water. Right? It's just it's, well, that makes like, me that makes me think that you know if it's if it's something like the Mediterranean diet, which I know has been shown in randomized trials to be you know potentially good for heart disease. I don't know about mm. dementia. I don't know if that's been looked at in RCTs, but it's such a small effect there that uh, I I'm not even sure that I'm that worried about football anymore. You know, <laughs> it's the sort of thing that could disappear. Well, exactly. If you control for the right things. Yeah, that's the thing. So, I mean, I, I, again, I, I'm obviously clearly well out of my, my depth here, but the, but Carson thinks there probably is some like I, I was like, well, what you mean? Look, going to university protects you against. Surely there's a like a um, there's a selection effect there. And he says, yeah, there probably is. But there's also he thinks that he thinks it's pretty confident that there's some real causal effect. Just that sort of brain um, keeping your brain working later in life is good good at helping you avoid dementia, and that that is that going to university is more likely to end you up in a position where you are using your brain in your job and uh, sort of stuff. so. So he thinks there is a causal I'm, effect. How much it is 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 going, yeah. Is I, I'm a argument. bit more skeptical of that. I think. There's mixed evidence from some of the studies that I used to work on, uh, the cognitive aging studies. There's mixed evidence of that kind of thing. Th- certainly, we know that there's from from including from some sort of natural experiment type studies. There's evidence that going to school, spending longer in school, increases your IQ score. And then if you have a higher IQ score to begin with, you know, earlier on in your life, it's going to take you longer to reach the point at which you will be diagnosed with dementia, if you see what I mean. So you'll start from a higher point and everyone is declining to a certain point or maybe they're getting hit on the head and that causes a decline. But if you start off from a higher position, then, you know, you're going to you're still going to be able to, you know, because you're only going to get diagnosed with dementia when you score particularly low on this very blunt screening test or you know you start to actually notice functional problems in your life like you can't uh read things or anymore remember things anymore or you're having trouble working out how much to pay for a bill in a restaurant whatever it is you know Mm. these sort of minor things that, that start to come up um and so yeah starting off from a higher point might might help with that when it comes to the using your brain stuff i i think there is some evidence from um 
like studies like Lothian birth cohort that I used to work on where we had a um, an IQ test done when people were 11 years old and then they did the same IQ test when they were 70 and the big question was do the things that you do in your life like uh, your job whether mm. it's a kind of um, cognitively demanding profession does that relate to your older age IQ once you've controlled for the younger IQ that is mm. if you just adjust for how smart people are to begin with you know is, is there still a relation between you know their lifestyle and their iq later in life and um i think actually for 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 some of those things there is actually a, a residual effect that is there isn't there is evidence that you know having a a more demanding job uh is 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 has a positive effect but that is not causal evidence necessarily. There could be other sort of unmeasured mm. confounders there, um, all sorts of other stuff that we might not have, we might not have uh, uh, measured. There are some things which just don't at all correlate. Like um, it looks, for instance, that alcohol, drinking alcohol correlates with your IQ when you're 70, but that completely disappears when you are, uh, when you control for the IQ age 11. So really? uh, Yeah, that's what we find in the, in the Lothian birth cohort study anyway, which is interesting because it could just be that like, and and by the way, it's positive. So drinking more alcohol seems to correlate positively with your IQ when you're when you're seventy in this in this particular study. And I can put the reference in. And it could be that you know the explanation that's normally given is that people who are like higher social class, um, they tend to like go to to, to uh, dinner parties and drink lots of red wine and stuff. And I think if you dig into the data, it is the red wine that's driving the effect. Um, and once you control for their kind of uh, you know. Um, test score when they're a kid to begin with you're actually just controlling for a lot of you know you're also controlling for a lot of social stuff as well and once you take that out of the picture there's no relation anymore with with uh, alcohol and in later life and and, and their iq which i think is is quite interesting so but anyway i think there could be something there but i've not really seen super positive causal evidence that is like experiments where you get people to do a sudoku every so often or um you know you get them to do the guardian up. crossword yeah. yeah exactly do these sort of things that then leads to it i mean i i mean i agree with you i mean it's a you know to, to any, I, I will say as well you know that with all these things teasing out cause and effect is a nightmare it's a nightmare. You're going to have. It's going to be a judgment. A, 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 you know, a, a, especially when you're dealing with, dealing with like observational studies. So I'm, I was. I'm quite pleased to be able to sort of hand over the judgment on this to Carson, who seems to think you know that probably is without being confident, super confident about it. I think is uh, is his position, and I I'm just going to adopt that position wholesale without. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a nice experiment would be something like finding twins, where one sibling or twin does a contact sport and the other doesn't and then see what the dementia risks are obviously yeah. there's going to be so few cases where you know the the pair have different interests like that that it might be very difficult but that would control for loads of stuff that would control for your family background it would control for a good chunk of your genetics it would control for all sorts of other stuff um and that would be a real that would be a much more convincing study and i wonder if there are any twin or sibling control designs actually you know the more i think about it there must be lots of cases where one sibling of a similar age does a sport and one doesn't so it'd be, i'm sure there That'd could be, be some one. sports That'd done there too. 
the study show is sponsored by Works in Progress, uh, which What's is What's Works in Progress, Tom? Uh, have, have, have I not told you, Stuart? I, I feel like I've told you. Um, yeah, so uh, uh, Works in Progress is an online magazine dedicated to, as the name suggests, progress, but also, you know, so mm. science and technology and how, how the world gets better and how we mm. can help it do that. Um, there's a really interesting piece about Houston. A really nice headline. Houston, we have a solution. It's really, really, it's just like, nice. it's a, a headline that's, just writes itself or or, or you know, doesn't yeah. actually yeah, you've really got to applaud the person that came yeah. up with that yeah. yeah exactly it's almost like they've chosen the article just so they could write that excellent headline um, <laughs> yeah but yeah so it, it's it's by Anya Martin who's a very good writer on you know matters planning and urban re- renewal mm, and so on and yeah. it's about how Houston is sort of generally held up as this one of Do the worst examples you not say Houston by the way I, I, I don't but then I, I say I say things like Glasgow and probably being a southern I should southerner I should say Glasgow and it sounds wrong to me so I, uh, Houston sounds more American Houston sounds weird Houston or Houston I don't know it was really no, sort of yep. notorious as being a, um, a sort of the worst example of a, a American urban sprawl you know just low uh, bi- buildings sprawling out into the middle distance but they, it's been in the last 25 years or so it's been quietly changing. They've made, you know, downtown isn't just this big car park anymore. It's a bit more walkable. It's a bit more likable. And, and, and it's much more reliance on um, sort of light rail and uh, public transport and things. It's just, it's just, it's just become more of a, an good. urbanist city to live. And um, yeah. Anya's piece is about what the planning decisions were that's driven that change, which, you know, a lot of a lot of cities could learn from how how to get better at that sort of thing. So yeah. it's a very interesting piece. And it's not the sort of thing you you necessarily see uh, in other in other places as well. It's a kind of uh, um, the, the the kind of constellation of interests of progress and planning and urbanism and stuff is really unique to Works in Progress magazine. It's great. It's a great read. So um, you yeah, can get really that. Good. What's the website, Tom? Worksinprogress.co, Stuart, and it's yes. all there, all free to read and just really splendid. Yeah, we're very, very grateful that they support the podcast. Um, the podcast uh, uh, is also sponsored by the study show, I should say. I mean, you already know that if you're listening. Mm. Um, uh, it's, it's also sponsored by The Eye, which is uh, the British daily newspaper that I work for. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tom, I got into big trouble on Twitter uh, recently when I stated a very mainstream philosophical position uh, mm. in a slightly trollish perhaps over over exuberant way right. um uh, about <laughs> whether whether people who have um described seeing mental imagery are actually seeing anything in their mind's eye and uh it's a completely mainstream position that's basically what daniel dennett the again very mainstream philosopher believes mm. uh about the uh internal world um and uh but people thought i was uh denying other people's experience and also admitting that I have a problem with my brain. So I wrote a very long explanation of the mental imagery debate um, to the best of my ability. It's a very complex philosophical debate, but to the best of my ability in a newspaper column. Um, and uh, you can access that if you go to the I, but only if you are a subscriber because it's in my weekly science subscriber only newsletter. So um, to get a subscription to the I, you have to go to inews.co.uk slash podcast and you will find some offers there for uh, your digital subscription. Um, and otherwise, you know, in addition to the stuff that I write, it's also a great newspaper full of comment and reporting, uh, not just on the UK, but on everything that's happening in the world. So um, well worth to, to taking out a subscription there, even if, you know, uh, you're not interested in my belated actual full explanation of what I believe uh, Although if you're not interested in what Stuart's saying why are you even here like 
Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's true. You've got to wonder. <laughs> you listen to the wrong wonder. podcast if you're not interested in Stuart getting invited. That's true. To that's true. That's true. Anyway, yeah. uh, it's uh, inews.co.uk slash subscribe. So uh, thank you very much to the I for uh, uh, sponsoring us. Is oh the my god, there. there really is something wrong with my brain. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Just, uh, for sponsoring Jesus. the study show, thank you very much indeed. And uh, now back to the show. I will tell you what the field study did, which you might be interested in. Yes. Um, which was that they had a, a detail of football that you might be unaware of is that the the players in the middle of the pitch, particularly the players at the front and the back, the, cent- the centre backs, the, cent- the central defenders and the centre forwards, tend to head the ball more. Um, and the goalkeepers are, who you're allowed to use their hands don't tend to head the ball very much. And but the players on the wing tend to be smaller. They tend to be, like, be less likely to... Um, uh, head the ball do a um, header right yeah exactly and uh, what Willie Stewart who was the lead author of the field study did was he compared dementia risk among goalkeepers and wingers to the, the, that of the centre backs and the and the, the forwards the, the strikers and they did find that there was greater risk among centre halves and centre forwards you know the, people, the, the players who head the ball more seemed to be more likely to get dementia but you know again it's it's a small it's a smaller effect once you start digging down into the subgroup subgroups carson points out you get smaller you know you get much smaller um sample sizes yeah. and it's also you know there, there might be there might be other differences between a uh, sort of person who wants to be up at the front in right know, the, right yeah. different personalities exactly. uh, are going to do things like in like in an orchestra where the uh, brass players are always much more unpleasant than the uh, woodwinds for instance <laughs> yeah. I didn't know again, that. But, yeah. Again, comparing to uh, yeah, so something that I know. You're getting onto your natural, onto your turf, <laughs> there, your natural turf. But, but yeah, we've talked about subgroup analysis before, where you're you're digging into a bigger data set and you're trying to look mm. at smaller and smaller aspects of it. In fact, I think that was one of the first things that we we talked about in this uh, in, in this, this podcast, doing this podcast a few weeks ago. Yeah, it seems much less reliable to dig into that. Um, and if you were gonna, I would want to see a nice plan. Yes, um, you know that that was what you were going to do all along, rather than the feeling that you get when you see these kind of analyses, where you think, "Did this? Were they intending to do this from the start, or is this a kind of you know mucking around in the data until you find something?" Yeah, I've, I've looked at the study as best I can, and uh, as far as I can work out, it's well, I can't I can't see anywhere that they've said they've pre-registered these hypotheses. So I agree, the, the subgroup analysis in that is just something. It's all, even even if it is pre-registered, you should be a bit more wary because the sample size is going to be lower, and I I don't think it's pre-registered from what I can tell. Yeah, but. You know, I can see um, things like the, the 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 sample size goes down from, you know, from 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 the thousands or well, I mean, there were it was, yeah, it was very big. It was um, it was seven thousand six hundred. Mm. Uh, if you're looking at people who have got dementia and stuff like that, you're talking in sometimes double digits. Uh, yeah. Uh, so yeah, exactly. So you you'll know, just end you, up with some know, dem- goal goalkeepers who also got dementia and are in the study. You know, the the, the sample size rapidly declines. Yeah, exactly. So you, you're you're, you're going to end up with somewhat difficult, um, not have difficulty really drawing strong conclusions. But I thought it was quite yes. a nice way of doing things. You know, that's a, cl- a clever bit of thinking, even if you can only draw so much of a conclusion from it. Of course, um, I mean, you all, yeah, you have to deal with uh, the limitations of the data you've got, and this is a cool uh, study. And uh, it's just that sometimes you can go a little bit far in analysing stuff beyond uh, what it can really reliably tell us. Yeah, exactly. So, so I, I think like my my sort of best guess position on this is that there probably is a real link between contact sports, so you know rugby, football, American football, stuff like that, and an increased risk of 
dementia in later life that's not totally trivial but not in fact not you know, it's, it's reason, reasonably sized but you know because because it's fairly rare to begin with it's uh, until later life it's it's not a huge absolute extra risk and that and whether or not it's causal i think there probably is a causal link whether it accounts for the whole thing is the whole size of the correlation seems unlikely to me but you know that it, it does seem to be that there is some increased risk but Okay, so this is, you know, the obvious, when people hear things like that, they mean to go, well, then then why would I let my kid play rugby or football or whatever? Quite. Um, So there's a couple of things, a couple of things to note there that firstly, we've been talking about professional sport, right? And, you know, someone doing, someone might, they might might be doing heading training one day and they'll, someone will just cross 40 balls in a row for them and they'll try and head each one in. So you might might head hundreds of, head ball tens or hundreds of times in a day or, or, you know, in a week. So it's just, and it's just bigger and stronger and faster than the, you know, me playing down Brixton AstroTurfs on a Thursday night, with, or my kid playing in under tens game seven aside with a bunch of you know nine year olds. It's not the same thing, and it's just like the the uh, there's the, for obvious reasons there's far less data. There's no real good data on the amateur game. You can't get an, a, an amazing data set of the pension, you know, the NFL pension um, scheme or the uh, the entire every single player who's ever played Scottish football in the same yeah. way. You know, yeah, that but makes you, sense. Yes, but so there's the, but I think just sort of a priori, I would expect that. If, it's, if, you know, if there's gonna be a sort of dose response thing, then you just you're playing less football means less risk like this, and just playing less hard, less hard. So I, I, I don't think there's any particular reason to think there'd be any detectable extra risk for someone playing at the level that most of the people we know would be. You know, we've got mm-hmm. friends mm-hmm. who play on a Monday night and they do a, do a five aside, yeah, 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 exactly. And I, I don't imagine there'll be any detectable risk increase for them. The other I've thing I've been invited worth, to that, by the way, but I've and never. I'm sure you've uh, yeah, never gone to it. it. I've, I'd, I will pay to see it. <laughs> I, would, I would actually buy tickets. Um, yeah. Okay. The other thing is that sport is good for you, right? This is this is the, the thing that I mean, both the field and layman studies. The thing that didn't make the headlines, but it was true of both of them, was that while it's true that the increased dementia, though, there's an increased risk of mortality from neurodegenerative disease in later life, it was associated with a roughly 50% drop in all-cause mortality before the age of 70. Like, you were, just, right. you were just much more likely to survive to later life if you are a play, if you're a pro sport player than if you are an equivalent, um, you know, uh, someone who started out in an equivalent place in life. Right? Again, though... What's the, uh, the economist? The economist would call endogeneity. There, like, isn't it the case that people who are you know, it's a big selection effect into being a professional football player, which is that you've probably got quite a well-built system in terms of True. you know you're not obese, you've not got a heart condition, you've not uh, you know got some kind of physical issues that are you know that that, that are going to cause you cause your life expectancy to be lower anyway it's a bit like again to talk about the um the older Augustus. age studies that i used oh, to work right, no. on <laughs> no uh, to talk about the older age studies i used to work on we found that um people who could do things like um expel more air out of their lungs in one second you know one of those things that you blow into forced expiratory volume yeah, yeah um that people have a stronger grip strength you know on those one of those dynamometers mm. that you that you grip really hard um they tended to you know live longer they had higher uh cognitive abilities they were generally just doing better in all sorts of ways and you think well okay does that mean that if you trained up your grip strength and you trained up your lung capacity that you would live longer and that you would be healthier well not necessarily because it could just be and this is the more gloomy outcome 
Um, and it, it could be both, right? It could be that if you train up these things, it helps you live longer. That seems plausible to me. But from just from that data point, you can't tell whether it's just that people who have always been fitter, who just have a better put together system for whatever reason, genetics, early life, whatever it is, there are just some people who are a bit luckier who, you know, get to their old age and they're just generally more robust. We all know people who are a bit more sickly than others. We all know people who are just generally prone to ill health more. And we also know people who are just unfit, uh, you know, broadly, no matter how they, they try, compared to someone who's going to end up being a professional football player. That's so true. It seems to me that there's a, that there's a big... Um, before we necessarily draw the conclusion that playing football makes you live longer, uh, there seems to be a, a reverse causation issue there, i.e. living longer, that is being healthier, makes you play football. That's true, but there's all. I mean, there's also like there's other things associated with being a pro fo- footballer that, um, or a pro, pro American footballer that are you know that aren't necessarily to do with directly being more more active. Like for example, being incredibly rich, you know, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that might that can help you uh, get helps better, you not die, yeah, exactly, better treatment, live live in a nicer place that doesn't have pollution, air pollution, in the air and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, there's all there's all sorts of things. Nonetheless, like if you're going to report on the increased dementia risk, I feel you ought to report on the fact that generally speaking, you die less. You know, I think they, these are these are both they're both subject facts. to the same yeah, issues exactly, of confounding, yeah. given that the study isn't a, an experiment. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think if if you're so, so, and and also I will say like that there are good. You know, there's, it's not it's not these as if these are the only two studies that find that people who do exercise tend to look tend to be healthier and and, and tend sure, to sure, sort of sure. yeah I think I think there's, there's good theoretical and empirical reasons to think that exercise is good for you. Um, Carson suggested to me, although I didn't, I stupidly didn't ask him for uh, references, but what for where he's getting this from. But he said that there's specific advantages to contact sports, which are the short bursts of energy seem to have a sort of cardiovascular impacts that long distance running and so on don't because they get very big strong hearts when you do become a long distance runner and that that can, that when you stop doing it they sort of become flabby but mm. the um but the the sort of regular short bursting accelerating stopping twist that that seems to have more a wider wider health impact so that, which you know plausible to me can't prove it I haven't got the can't point you to a study that says it but the other thing i will say right is that I know you'll find this very hard to believe, but football and sports are fun, and going for a run for a lot of people isn't, right? You know, it's much easier to convince my kid to sprint around on a football field with his mates for an hour than it would be to get him to go for a you know, three-kilometer run or something like that. Uh, no, he does actually like running. But, you know, so, so it's just, it, if you want people to take exercise, making exercise fun is generally a good thing. That's, that seems to me plausible to me. Yeah, I can't really argue against that, although obviously I disagree th- with the things people are finding fun. I don't understand it. I can't uh, empathise with it. I can't get Makes my head angry. into this sort of position. I yeah. s- watch people enjoying football and I feel absolutely Left nothing. out so, and alone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah exactly. exactly. soft and flabby. And just yeah, sort of yeah, pain. yeah. Not, not, not that bad these days, but, uh, but yes. Um, uh, uh, there's one thing we haven't talked about, Tom, hmm. which is why is it that getting hit on the head causes you dementia. Now, I could understand that it might cause you immediate brain damage. And by the way, I'm using the word cause here... uh, Somewhat loosely, yeah. Yeah, to mean, like, let's assume that the studies are correct and that there's some part of what they find is causal. I'm not, you know, wedded to that because it could be that there's some um, confounding factor. But let's assume that that they are causal. What is it that causes you... that causes the dementia? Okay. Um, I, I, well, you know, I, I was going to say, like, if 
you can imagine that it might cause brain damage right there and then. Uh, it causes a bleed on your brain or something that causes you issues. But why is it that it you know lies dormant for so long and then you you start to get dementia in later life? Um, if uh, well, uh, this this was the hypothesis, and that this this thing called chronic and en- uh, tra- oh god, I can never remember it. Chronic traumatic encephalopathy seems to be the thing, which they uh, and the uh, the idea is that it causes an abnormal protein called tau to build up in the brain that causes you know memory loss. So, so the, the, the tau hypothesis, I can never remember that. You know more about this than me. There's the tau and amyloid proteins that build up in brains that have Alzheimer's, yes. and it is and dementia. Well, they're both it, things it, that if you do. Postmortem of someone with dementia or Alzheimer's uh, mm. specifically, there are other forms of dementia. You find lots of amyloid plaques and uh, neurofibrillary tangle, tangles, which are mm. these kind of other proteins, which are the, which are the tau aspect, um, which is the the kind of the standard hypothesis, which has been very controversial over the years, is that the amyloid is the main uh, cause of the dementia, that it builds up. And interferes with uh, the neuronal uh, communication in the brain. Mm. And that led to the idea that if you get rid of the amyloid, which you can do with uh, some of these new drugs, lecanemab, mm. um, donanemab, um, there are these new drugs, which are very good. And everyone agrees that they're extremely efficient at clearing out all that amyloid from your brain. Mm. Um, then the question is, do they reduce your dementia symptoms? And it's certainly claimed that they can um uh, this is this is possibly worth its own episode i'm a bit skeptical oh, yeah. uh, of that but uh but yeah that's that's the, the standard hypothesis is that it's that stuff that causes you to um that causes you to get dementia and so yeah i have seen a few papers that say that if you uh give someone a traumatic brain injury their brain will start to develop abnormal levels of amyloid and then if we agree that amyloid causes dementia that would be a sort of daisy chain of um you know you're building up all this this amyloid protein in your brain you're that uh, every time you get every time you get hit or head a ball or whatever it is um and then that causes dementia later that would work although i am a bit skeptical about the amyloid hypothesis so I'm i'm not sure there are other i've seen other things people talking about axonal damage so the the long spindly parts of uh neurons that connect up to other neurons um maybe are, are you know traumatically damaged they're the parts that, that that help the brain communicate they're the the white matter uh, of the brain that help all the regions of your brain link up and communicate um there seems to be some evidence that those are damaged when you get a traumatic like a head in, a head injury, um, and that might interfere with with things, but that would be a different mechanism of dementia. Mm. And I, I, it occurred to me when you first mentioned this as a as a topic, I didn't know about the amyloid idea um, that the, that traumatic brain injuries cause amyloid to build up. It occurred to me that if this stuff is causing dementia, it would be by a different mechanism than the, the normal uh, dementia. You know, I, don't, I don't think so. I think it is still, or at least I, I can, I'm, this is where I'm slightly out of my depth, but there are, well, I'm, I'm always out of my depth on, uh, on in this stuff. But the, the tau, the, the, I think it is to do with the protein, the tau protein. But as we discussed earlier on, that's, that's, I mean, that's what, that's a classic example of a biomarker, you know, that you detect this thing in the brain. The question of whether it's actually causing it or whether it's merely associated with it. Right. If, yeah. You know, is it like. Again, um, everyone agrees that you find this stuff in, in people with Alzheimer's brains. Mm. It's, it's whether it's the cause or some kind of epiphenomenon that appears in their brain anyway. 
whether or not it actually causes things, and maybe the cause is something else, and people have their own ideas about that. As I say, we should save that for its whole a whole uh, yeah. episode on that. But to some extent, right? Uh, that, to, for the same reasons, I, uh, I would you know, it, it's interesting if amyloid causes or tau causes it. Um, causes Alzheimer's from the point of view if you're trying to treat it but from the point of view of someone trying to decide whether or not to play football that's kind it's all kind of secondary you know the 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 point is you know is it associated with the public health problems that we call dementia that we and is 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 there is the actual activity have yeah so so that's uh, that's my sort of I agree yeah yeah. knowing knowing the mechanism it's just it, it um it becomes like, I don't know if I would have predicted straight off that these head injuries would cause dementia, is what I was saying. Like, mm. I could see, like, causing stroke, I can completely understand why that would be the case. Causing just general brain damage that, that you know, might cause you to um, lose the ability to speak in certain ways or have grammatical problems when you speak, all these kind of things that, that maybe personality changes and so on, which is what people get when they get brain trauma. Hmm. Sometimes, depending on depending on where the brain trauma is. But that's acute. That's acute brain trauma, right? So as opposed to this sort of. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> I may have, yeah. Um, but yeah, the. Uh, but do you know what I mean? That's uh, so that you're you're thinking of like someone getting hit in the head really hard and it causing. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, sure, yeah. sure. The the the, the yeah, it, it, right, exactly. So the the idea is that this is the long constant uh regular jarring yeah exactly and and even that but that was that was a thing that you know there there that seems the plausible mechanism because that seems to be the thing that's different between someone playing football a lot and someone who isn't but actually there isn't really very good evidence that that is the mechanism it's just we can all, all we can really say with confidence is this correlation i think between playing contact sports at a pro level every day for 20 years and you know or you know and and this increased risk and then we can say you know that the the experts who've looked at this for a long time having looked at more you know many more than just these two studies and sort of worked with they 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 think there probably is a causal link rather than but that's not you know but the, the, we we can't we can't be sure yet of the mechanism that's just plausible that it's to do with heading the ball repeatedly i think i think i think yeah. that's the sort of sum up that's the overall position one other thing, by the way, that I should say is when I was looking this stuff up, I discovered that researchers uh, use something called the Swain model of traumatic brain injury. And that's uh, just as it sounds, they have pigs and they give the pigs brain injuries. Um, and then that's where they've discovered things like amyloid uh, appears. Apparently, the amyloid protein in pigs is relatively similar to that in humans, um, if not the same. And so... That seems very cruel to me yes. to give a pig. I think they they anaesthetize the pig first, and then they use like a a sort of piston thing that the a pneumatic a shaft. I'll quote you: a shaft that is accelerated by either a pneumatic piston or an electromechanical actuator to give the the pig a brain injury. That seems a bit. Oh, a bit do you, do you ever feel, do you feel like you're, you're doing that in your day job? Or you're thinking like, are we the baddies? Are we the baddies? I suppose you would say. Have I gone wrong in my life? To give their, to to give their side, yeah. they're doing it to understand human uh, uh, disease. But Of course, um, of course. Uh, wow, yeah, that's... Um, and, you know, you don't want to be on the side of yeah. people who firebomb uh, animal testing labs and stuff. But... Um, no, they are also you'd have to, No, you're quite I'd right. Be, help, yeah, I'm actually be, very pro. I should say I'm pro animal yeah. testing. It is important, you know. But I'm also broadly pro.
pro animal testing, um, but I'm also pro the, uh, the the three R's thing. You know, um, uh, replacement, reduction, and refinement. So the idea is like if, if you if you if you can replace the animal with something that isn't going to harm a living creature, then you should. Uh, if you can reduce the number of animals that you end up quote unquote euthanizing in your experiment then you then you should and if you can refine it so that you can you know make the experiment more efficient then you should also do that as well so uh, i i would hope that the pig research that we're talking about uh, adheres to these uh, uh, guidelines but it does uh, yeah the initial view seem... walloping as many pigs as possible as possible in the head just <laughs> yeah. for fun yeah, yeah that's a bit upsetting incredible yeah. Anyway, poor old pigs. Okay, so uh, th- th- we should we should probably sum this up, shouldn't we? Because um, we just we just w- wandered off onto walloping pigs in the head now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> so does yeah, so, playing uh, football cause you to get dementia? And I think the answer is probably yes, a bit. Um, about as much, you know, in the same way as we say that not going to university or not eating a Mediterranean diet probably increases your risk somewhat. It's very hard to t- tease out causal and uh, correlatory aspects to this, but I think you know, right. there are plausible reasons. But as we said, that's, you know, it's, it's only one risk factor among many, many others. And, you know, the old um, Carson was saying, look, this, you can start, if I were, if it were me, I'd start worrying about this when I'd, you know, quit, got rid of all these other risks, you know, if I was eating the right diet and quit smoking and do all these, do all these brilliant things and the only thing left is playing sport, then maybe I'd start thinking about then. But also the other important thing is it, it, I'm much more confident that playing sport is actually good for you on the, on net and that the, it doesn't <laughs> No pun intended again, Tom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. God, God's sake. Yeah, and so the, um, so the uh, like, if you actually want to live longer, then playing sport is a good thing for you. And and put the idea that we should. I, I'm really nervous about scaring people and saying, "Oh, they'll they'll take their kids out of sport or stop doing it themselves out of re- f- f- out of fear of dementia risk." When actually that will probably mean like, the the more likely outcome is that means they are less healthy and are less likely to live as long as they would otherwise. So the uh, risk, so I think though, that's the, the risk if you get them to play sport though is that they become a bore uh, later in life, and you should get them to do something much more interesting, like uh, playing a musical instrument, um, going to see movies, uh, playing Dungeons and Dragons, something much more fun and interesting like that. See, um, no, no, that doesn't involve incredibly sport. boring sport, which I just can't imagine why anyone would be interested in. Playing team sport, you learn, you learn to join the, you know, teamwork, and you learn to to work together. You get that in Dungeons and, and Dragons too. Well, that that is true, um, but you but you also get you, you get you get um, you get to fa- face triumph and disaster and treat those two imposters just the same and all that sort of nonsense. Anyway, yeah, but look, sport is good. All right, sport is good. You, you need to start I, playing sport. Our biggest disagreement yet, Tom. It's just really drives me mad. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Um, If you've enjoyed it, as always, please do like or subscribe. And I don't know if you can like. Anyway, well, you know, go and subscribe. You can like it on Substack. Yeah, it's good to like it on Substack because it it, it helps the old the old uh, the old algorithm. The algorithm, yeah. Uh, And uh, yeah, give give us a give us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever wherever you get your listening to this. Yeah, Yeah. Um, and um, you will have noticed that uh, we recently had our first uh, paid episode. It was all about diversity training so we did we covered microaggressions and uh um unconscious bias training and stuff like that so um uh, if you're interested in that then the only way to listen to that is to take out a paid subscription um for which we would be very grateful but you also now get access to our uh um paid episodes and we're going to do a paid episode every month or so um so uh all that remains to be said is thanks very much tom and uh um we'll we'll see you next time thanks very much Stuart. thanks very much listeners next time bye-bye